Um, it's good to be here. I know it's uh, summer season beginning and sort of come and go, but I, as I was saying in the nine o'clock service, I, I really believe God's got you here, believe in the sovereignty of God, that there's something for you in what he's put on my heart this morning. It's a, it's, we're going to look at a very well-known sort of story, scenario in, in Mark's gospel, and that I've got three sort of lessons out of it and to some extent I'm, I'm going to be I hope sensitive to the Holy Spirit which one is going to need most emphasis uh, in each of the times I'm speaking so I'm thinking of that this morning so let's see what God wants to say to you because I don't believe it's by accident you're here this morning but first of all let's read this uh, incident in the life of Jesus Mark chapter 5 and I want to read the whole of the uh, incident that when Jesus restores a demon-possessed man. So it's Mark 5, it's verses 1 to 20, it's a dramatic story, and I believe it's prophetic. Uh, Jesus is doing something which is demonstrating something for, for what was then, slightly in the future, not now, the gospel age. I believe there was something built into that. Okay, let's read it. They, that's Jesus and his disciples, his core group, went across the lake to the region of Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he'd cry out and cut himself with stones." When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him, in front of Jesus, and he shouted out at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on a nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, which was about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, a man who had been demon-possessed, the man who had been demon-possessed, begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. Now, if we're going to get the most out of this, uh, by God's grace, I want us to, I think we do need to understand its setting and, and why it was... A bit unusual and why it was 
quite, as I've put it, prophetic and looking forward. And it's very relevant. As we understand it, we'll find it's very relevant. Lots of relevant bits in it for us. It's certainly a fascinating, powerful story, but it's set in a place called Decapolis. And you'll have noticed that they had to go, they, the disciples, had to go across the Lake of Galilee to get to this area on the eastern shore of Galilee. Now, this is a, a big issue for them, and it was a big uh, change of environment. They probably wondered what Jesus was doing. Decapolis is a Greek word, and it means ten cities. And this was an area that the Greeks had um, inhabited and settled in a hundred years before. So it was predominantly Gentiles, predominantly Greek in culture. And therefore it wasn't at all Jewish. It didn't particularly keep to the Jewish rules at all. It was almost like foreign soil to the disciples who wouldn't have traveled very far in their own lives. And for Jesus to be taking them there was quite awkward, quite uncomfortable for them. This would be seen as a dark area, spiritually dark, an area where the law was ignored. A lot of Jews actually did go there and work there, but they mostly, the slightly uh, wilder elements, the ones that weren't too bothered about keeping the law, it was, was seen as somewhere no self-respecting Jew would go. And in fact, it, this area was a large pig-rearing pig area. I mean, seriously large almost industrial for the first century. As you can see, 2,000 are mentioned here. Now, the reason for that is that, of course, anybody but Jews love to eat pork. And so the Romans and the Greeks and probably a lot of others uh, love to eat pork. But the Jews themselves would see the pigs as unclean. They wouldn't even touch them, go near them. So there was quite a market for all this, especially with the Roman Empire all around that eastern Mediterranean. So it's actually quite profitable business. Bear that in mind. It's relevant. It's quite profitable. So it's dark, it's a, bit, um, it, it's a bit out there for as far as the, the uh, disciples are concerned and it, it is actually quite economically driven. So they think, what is Jesus doing? The, the 12 would think, why would he go there? He's, if he's a Messiah for the Jews, if he's going to establish Israel as a mighty nation again and kick out the Romans and be the true son of David, this is not somewhere that's good for his CV. This is not good PR. We don't want to mess about in this dark, confused, uh, Gentile, pagan area. We don't like it. Well, they follow Jesus because they didn't have much choice. They go where he goes, takes them. They're his followers. And as soon as they get out of the boat, all their worst fears are beginning to be realized. They've hardly got out of the, sh of the boat, and this very scary character comes towards them. I mean, he's a walking horror movie. He, he, he is he's full of demonic activity. I mean, he's seriously dangerous. I have not often had to deal with really demonized people. I do believe there is such a thing, and it's, it's not the same as just mental illness or something. They're quite separate things. Once one dramatic dealt with a, a, a woman who'd been deeply into witchcraft and came to know Jesus, and uh, she was a tough woman, actually. She was no um, oddball, really. She was scary. And then when we began to pray with her, this hugely frightening sort of manifestation, she's a man's voice and cursing Jesus and throwing our Bibles across the room. It was scary. It was only by praying for the presence of God that it calmed down. And we saw her set free. We saw her baptized. She joined the church. It's a wonderful story. But what I want you to know is this stuff isn't fun. I mean, it might be like a horror movie, but the reality is it's scary. And this guy was self-harming. He was living amongst the dead. He'd got bits of chain on him where he'd broken chains. 
This was everything, the, the reason we didn't come. Now look what we've got running towards us. Now, we're going to see three things this morning. And these are lessons, some of them, that the disciples were having. And this is the first one. The, it's about the authority of Jesus. Because the disciples were comfortable with Jesus being in Israel. They were comfortable with all that was going on there. I mean, sometimes it was uncomfortable, but it was quite a fun adventure. This is relatively early on, and Jesus is taking them beyond their comfort zone. And this is one of the prophetic things. Jesus is putting down a marker. I am not here as just a political figure for Israel. I'm not here as a, a new king who's going to be like David and better. This is a different war and a different battle, and it's for everyone. And this is a marker down that my authority goes way beyond Israel. He goes into this dark area of Gentile uh, immorality, as they would see it, and confusion and economic, um, all the stuff we said, quite a stronghold in many ways. And Jesus shows that his authority works there. Now, in the story... There is a little bit of dialogue with the demons, but if you read it carefully, this is not like they're trying to stay there. There is a bargaining about what happens. Their, their immediate reaction as Jesus turns up is to break out with a confession, frankly, of who he is. They seem to have a shrewder idea who he is, because they have, than some of the human beings that have been met. And they shout out, Jesus, Son of the Most High, and their immediate thing, don't torture us. You know, they know who's in charge. Phil Moore, who I love... His writing and his book, um, he does a little bite-sized books straight to the heart of various books. It's great to look at the series if you want them for your private study. But in his book, Straight to the Heart of Mark, on Mark's Gospel, he says this in a comment on this incident. Phil says this, Every demon in the entire world knows that Jesus is king and will one day cast them into hell and that there is no way for them to resist the message of Jesus' kingdom. That there's no question they know who Jesus is. And you'll find this comes out later in the New Testament with something to do with Paul. Yeah, the demons say, we know Jesus, we know Paul, we don't know who you are to some phonies who are trying to cast them out. So basically, there is nowhere in the world where the name of Jesus doesn't carry authority and power. Amen. That was true in Decapolis, it's true in Bristol. It's true in Bristol in 2019. There were all sorts of conflicting concerns in the disciples about Decapolis and the Greek and ten cities working together and, you know, and all that. But Jesus turned up, a, a, a tragic figure, locked in sin and demonic activity. Jesus sets him free. It's wonderful. The name of Jesus still has power to set you free. He's not limited by time, by space. It doesn't have to be in the right place at the right time. It's Jesus. When he turns up, demons have to flee. Amen? Amen. Now, we need to believe that because demons haven't gone on holiday because we're in the 21st century. There still is activity like that. But we're not looking for something as dramatic as that. That's not the only message there. Jesus is saying... My kingdom is going everywhere. My kingdom's for the Gentiles. It's for the Greeks. My kingdom is for the damaged, oppressed, broken folk like this. This is who I've come for. I, can, I will set them free. This is a message 
for our era. It's a message for the gospel age. He's, he's actually mentoring his disciples. He's actually discipling them into what he's really got in mind. This is one of their lessons in anticipation. And there'll be others. John 4 is another one where he speaks to the woman at the well, the Samaritan. But this one is clearly saying, this is where we're going with this message. Amen? That's still the game plan. That's still what's true today for us here. Now, what about this business with the pigs? Because it's a bit strange in one way. I mean, in one way, it shows the power of Jesus. But I think Jesus never does anything just for the sake of it. It's this, he's, not, he's not a magician. He's not showing off. This is where we begin. This is an interesting one. It links to a later point. Where we begin to engage with the area a bit more than just this individual. I've already told you, this area is notorious for its sin and its mixture and its pagan darkness, but also for its pig rearing and for making a lot of money and for quite a number probably of Jews or Jewish origin people all involved in that business. And there is a sense in which this is a bit of a judgment. Allowing the demons to do whatever they do, which ends in the pigs running over the cliff, is a sort of a warning to that area and it's also slightly putting down the gauntlet do you want this this guy I mean this guy is magnificently set free which is impressive but that has a cost this is a call back to God and what's interesting is when the gauntlet's thrown down did you notice what their reaction is they said well let's read it again the people went out to see what had happened they saw the man who'd been possessed with the legion who's notorious they all knew him they all knew what he was like they were probably a bit scared of him they saw him sitting there dressed in his right mind and they were afraid and it is sometimes scary when the power of God man afraid but look what else is said and they told the people the people who've been there the sort of farmers I guess what had happened and they told about the pigs as well so yeah, that was all very fine, but look what happened to our herd of pigs. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave the region. We don't want it. We don't want this. He's ruining our pig business. He's scaring us. I'm not sure what this is. We want to stay as we are, thank you. Clear off. I mean, that's honestly what they do. But it's not the end of the story. So let's come back to that in a minute. So, Let's move on to the second thing I want to talk about, which is the dynamics of prayer. They're sort of quite separate little lessons, but they do weed together. I hope they'll speak to you. First one is, there is no question Jesus' authority works everywhere, all right? In prayer and other ways in deliverance. But this one I want to talk about is the dynamics of prayer. And perhaps just to refresh us on that, can you pop up uh, verses 18 to 20? And let's write... Just read one bit again. This is when the man's been delivered and he's healed. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him, with Jesus. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Now, you might not at first think this is about prayer. When I first was looking at this and reading and thinking about it some time ago, I felt God really spoke to me out of this bit personally, me, John Grace. So I was reading, I'm not just preparing for a sermon, I felt God spoke to me. Because actually, this is a prayer. I mean, what else is it? 
the man goes to Jesus and he pleads with him. He goes to Jesus and begs Jesus, can I come with you? Now, this is a perfectly reasonable request. It's not weird. It's not asking. He's, he's been healed and delivered. He loves Jesus. Jesus is now his savior. He is persona non grata in Decapolis, isn't he? I mean, nobody's going to be a friend of a nutcase like this, are they? I mean, people are scared of him. They've chained him up. They've tried to keep him away. He probably once had a family and friends, but they want little to do with him. Not only is he someone that nobody really wants, he is now associated with the pig killer who's ruining the business. There is very little attractive to him staying there. Meanwhile, he wants to be with Jesus. Of course he does. That's perfectly reasonable. And he wants to learn more, perhaps you could say. But also, it must have looked quite like, this is my future. Here's a bunch of guys that travel around with Jesus, healing people. I mean, it's not, that's not overambitious. That's just lovely. That's common sense. I want to join you and those 12. I mean, it looks quite good. Band of brothers, seeing people healed and fed. Can I come with you, Jesus? Jesus says, no, no, you can't. It's interesting, isn't it? But he does say more than that. He doesn't just say no. He says, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. He gives him a plan and tells him that he has a bigger and different plan, a different plan and a bigger plan for this man's life than that man thought was the best thing. Jesus said, I've got something else bigger. Now, I want to talk about prayer because I think Christians, we are in danger sometimes of having a variety of distorted views about prayer. Um, They're they're not all as bad as I'm just quickly going to paint them, but I think Christians can vary. These are a bit caricature-y, but I think we can all do it. Some Christians would see prayer, I say it's a caricature, a bit like a slot machine, If you get the money and the numbers right, you must get what you ask for. You know, God has to do it. He's committed to it. If you don't get what you ask for, there must be a lack of faith on your part, or you haven't got the numbers right, or you're not your sin in your life. You know, you need to get something lined up right, and it's ching, and here's the bar of chocolate. It must happen. That's what it's all about. God's committed to doing what you ask. You know, name it, claim it. But even broadly, Christians generally can have a bit of that attitude. That's one, caricature slightly. Another is the other extreme, which is that God is so mysterious, so other, you never know what he'll do. I mean, God is just like, who knows what he's going to do? Oh, you can ask, but don't expect probably he won't do what you ask. He'll probably do something completely different. Just put up with it. And, 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 and sometimes, I mean, even, again, broadly orthodox evangelists will quite make quite a big thing of if it be thy will, that they take the Garden of Gethsemane. What Jesus said, you know, not my will, but yours, only if it... I think that needs a brief analysis. When Jesus did that in the Garden of Eden, he knew what God's will was. He knew the cross. That's what he'd come for. He was facing the horror of it, and it reminds you how horrific it was for Jesus sweating blood as he faced it and there was that heart reality interchange with his father he could have called 12 legions of angels he called off the mission but he knew he wasn't going to and that that was a prayer of consecration 
committed to your will, Father. Not in like, I don't know what you want, but whatever, I'll take it. He, it's not that sort of prayer. And so that sort of line is not a sign-off for every single prayer. Well, we leave the option open, Lord, you might do whatever, you know, probably not what I want. So, I mean, it's a caricature again, but that isn't prayer either. And perhaps, I won't go on too long, perhaps, the, I mean, I've heard in my youth and others, people say, well, when you pray, there are always, God says, yes, no, or wait. I don't know if you've heard of that. Yes, no, wait, sort of like traffic lights, really, red, green, or amber. Well, that's a nice little sort of... But I'm not sure that's over-accurate. i tell you what's wrong with all three. What you see here, prayer is dynamic. It's a dialogue with the living God. He communicates with you. You talk to him, he talks back. God loves to connect with his people, honestly. And you say, well, it doesn't quite like that. No, no, Jesus was physically there talking to the man. But the principle is the same for our prayer life. You, God, Jesus doesn't just say uh, in a mysterious, no, you know, suck it up, get on with life. No, no, it's, it's not that at all. Jesus said, no, I've got another plan for you. And it's this, go back and tell them what I've done for you. Now, I would dare to say from experience as well, that is a lot like real guidance dynamic prayer is in your life and mine. Now, the way God speaks to you is probably a little more uh, complicated than in this story, in a sense that I think he speaks through his word. Maybe he's speaking through a preach word like this morning to you. You have to have ears to hear. There'll be something in your heart sometimes, your conscience. Sometimes it'll be a prompting of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's a prophetic word. Sometimes it happens out of circumstantial things. I think when we're looking for guidance and answers to prayer, we need to have our antennae up. And often it's two or three things together. It's like there's a word that confirms what I felt in my spirit. And then someone just brings a counsel that fits in with that. And I begin to know what God's saying to me. All right? But I want you to know prayer is not just us slot machine, not just mysterious God, let him know what I feel, but who knows what he wants. And it's not just like he's got, he's like a little machine that's got three answers. It's not that. It is honestly dialogue. Jesus has a plan for your life. Jesus wants the best for you. But it may not be exactly as you at first think. Often out of real enthusiasm and a real heart for God, we, we think, right, now I'm going to do this. Lord, will you open the door for Bible college? Lord, will you open the door for going to sorry, Thailand, <laughs> which he has in your case. Uh, you know, and, and, God said, and Jesus says, well, actually, no, I won't. I've got 10 years of work I want to do in your life first. And actually, at the moment, I want you to stay right where you are in that job and work out your faith there. You're not going to Bible college straight away. Now, I, I'm not saying that the request is very honorable. It's, very, it's not like wrong. It's just that Jesus knows more than you do of, the, of what's better for you and what the big picture is. And so there is a submission to his will. There is, but he wants to share his heart with you. It's not like, oh, who knows what he'll do. It's like he wants the dialogue. I want to encourage you this exciting fact, and he often does answer our prayers along the lines of what we want, by the way. But I want to encourage you this exciting fact that engaging in being a Christian and following Jesus is engaging in a life of walking with a living God who's with you and who has plans for you and wants you to know what his plans are as well as hear what your plans are. 
And ultimately, hopefully, the two will blend together. Amen? And that's what we get a little taste of here. Now, the brilliant thing, this bloke does so well. He obeyed what Jesus said. Isn't that good? He didn't elbow his way into the boat, you know, grab Peter by the scruff of the neck, throw him out the boat, say, I'm having your place, swim. He didn't do that. He didn't force, well, I'm coming with you anyway, Jesus. Whatever you, instead of Judas, he's a rotter anyway. I'll get in there. He didn't smash, smash his way in. He heard what Jesus said. He didn't actually go, oh, thanks. Well, I'll go back to the tombs then. He didn't do that. He did what Jesus told him to do. Amen? Which brings us to the third point, and I think this is a really important one. I want to move on to the power of telling. What happened to this man is amazing and prophetic. And I want to just give you a little simple insight. I hope it's straightforward. I think you'll see it. This guy goes back. We get a little positive message here. Goes back, and the people were amazed, we're told. That's how the curtain comes down. But if you've got a Bible, in Mark 7... Jesus goes back to Decapolis. And I think most commentators would see there's a chronological progression here. So this is later, okay? Don't know how much later, but months maybe, maybe a year, I don't know. But if we've got Mark 7, we've got verse 31. Let me read you a few verses. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre, went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee, and into the region of Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. Then we get a two, couple of verses spelling out how the healing worked. Let's go to verse 36. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. The last time Jesus was in Decapolis, as far as the New Testament tells us, and I think there's every indication this is accurate, in chapter 5, the people of Decapolis are saying, clear off. We don't want you and your scary stuff and your pig killing, whatever way they put it. Our business is too important. Go. When Jesus comes back to Decapolis, it seems to be, hey, the healer's here. Whoa, whoa, bring your sick people. Quick, quick, quick. Bring the, whoa, he's healed him as well. Whoa, he's done everything well. Ah, what makes the difference? Go on, you can preach your own sermon. Make it up. It's not, it's not I don't think, imaginative, but I think we're making a logical conclusion. What has happened in between? We're told this guy went and did what Jesus told him to do. He went back to his own people. It's so simple and profound. He went back to it. Jesus said, go home to your own people. Tell them how much the Lord's done for you and how he has had mercy on you. I reckon he did it. And when Jesus turned up the next time, they were, this is the guy who healed him. You know, let's make James the man. Look, you know, healed James. Remember James used to be mad as a hatter, no clothes on tearing himself to bits, punching anybody who came near him. Sorry, James, this is too near to the truth. I'm apologizing. <laughs> and you know, for months, he's been like, great. He's just lovely. And people like to have him around for tea. Once, we wouldn't even speak to him. You know, James, is, and he always tells you all about, well, Jesus did it. 
At first, they wouldn't have gone that. At first, they'd have been deeply suspicious. At first, they'd have said, okay, let's see if this is just a phase. I wouldn't have him around, not on his full moon, anyway. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, keep it. Yeah, hello, hello, how are you? <laughs> how are you? All right, are you? How are the chains? Yeah. I mean, they, they, at first, and gradually, he won them over. I mean, it just was wonderfully okay. He was wonderfully healed, and, and it began to be normal, and people said, it's amazing. He said, well... Jesus healed me. I mean, I, I mean, Jesus just set me free. He told them what had happened to him when he met Jesus. Get the point. It's not that profound, but it is in a way. That's all he did. And the result is that when Jesus turned up, everybody wanted, I, I, I want to meet Jesus too. Now, I told you this is all prophetic. I believe it is. I think Jesus deliberately is anticipating an age that was almost not quite there at that point. This is an insight into the gospel age that you and I live in. It really is. In a way, it's unusual. If you read most of the miracles that we have this sort of record on in the gospels, Jesus tells them not to tell people, actually, a lot of them. And that's probably, commentators say, because, um, you know, it's mostly Jewish, uh, and they were after this David Messiah thing, and he didn't want hype, and, it, and then something which they tried to do several times, make him king, like they did after the feeding of 5,000. That's not what he was after. This is totally different. This is a different clientele, and a different place, and it's a different method, and it's a different lesson. This anticipates the whole gospel age that you and I are in, honestly. At the end of our Gospels, we're going to have Matthew, Mark. You can pick it up and read it for yourself. Jesus says, after he's risen from the dead, go and be my witnesses to everyone. And it comes out at the beginning of Acts. This is the wonderfully simple and successful game plan for the Gospel age. You meet Jesus. He, you know his love. You know his mercy. You know his healing and restoration, his forgiveness. And you just tell people what's happened to you. It really is the bedrock of everything we should do evangelistically. Yeah, we have special meetings. Yes, we put on bells and whistles to make people happy. But actually, actually, the bottom line is always and has been for 2,000 years this. This is a model of how it works. You get meet Jesus. You get set free. You find mercy. You find hope. You find help. People are probably suspicious of Jesus and possibly suspicious of you. But if you are consistent with your life and words, they begin to open up. And they'd like to know Jesus for themselves. And then they get an opportunity to, which is what happens to the people of Decapolis. That's how the church grows. It's, it's witness. And being a witness is exactly that. Jesus uses the word witness many, several times actually, my witness. Let's just pause and think about it. Let's think, what does a witness do? A witness tells what they know, what they've seen, and what they've experienced. In a court of law, if you are a witness, standing in something like that, I know it's a pulpit, you're in the witness box, nobody wants you to speculate about what the judge should do and what sentence he would give. Nobody wants you to add lots of ifs and buts about, well, you know, I, I saw that, but I wasn't sure about that, and I personally thought that should have happened. No, no. You know, you don't try and play the role of the judge. You don't try and play the role of the barristers. You are there to say what you know. 
So if we take a simple, obvious thing, you've seen a, walking down the high street down here and you saw a, a car drive up, bloke got out with a balaclava on and a gun, ran into the bank, you heard a shot, he came out with a big thing with swag on it, like they do, <laughs> jumped in the car. And, and you just, now, what, what time was it? Well, it was about lunchtime, I was just going for my lunch and I saw this big car drive and I saw the bloke, yeah, yeah, he was about that height, yeah, he was about that height and he had a balaclava, yeah, he had red shoes on, that, like, yeah, yeah, oh yeah, we found him, when we arrested him, he had red shoes, yeah, yeah, yeah. well, that bloke had red shoes, and I'm making it up, but you know, a witness, in fact, you don't do it like that, you answer the questions they give you. Did you see this? What time was it? What do you remember? You just stick to what you know. Amen? Amen? Now, I think some of us can get very uptight about this business of sharing our faith because we, we think, well, I can't answer all the questions. I can't talk about suffering in the world and Richard Dawkins' arguments and whether it's, you know, what, 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 how does it all blend together and what about other religions? I can't deal. No, we can have, and it's great, we have good people that are good apologetics. We love to hear those things. But in the end, it doesn't really work on that basis. You are a witness to what Jesus has done for you. And that's pretty well what he wants you to do, full stop, with all respect. You know, that your words and your, your life, begin, your life changes, and your words, that, so like this man, you are different, and you're prepared to say why you're different, and you're prepared to say what wonderful things Jesus has done for you. And if you get a difficult question, you say, well, I probably can't answer that, I just know what he's done for me. And you'll find other examples of that in the Gospels. Guy made, uh, could bl- blind, and now he can see. And they, they argue, well, you know, Jesus is a bad man. He said, I don't know whether he's bad or good, but I know once I was blind, now I can see. You can read that one too in the Gospels. And there's something raw and right about that. If you can answer the ro- answers, answer the question. If you're clever enough, that's wonderful. But basically, you're not being asked that. You're just being asked to say, be a witness to what he's done for you. And there's power in that. There is real power. This man brought an impact to that area that opened everybody up, it would seem, to seeing Jesus in a totally different light. And the one who they'd ordered to go away, they now welcome and end up saying, he's done everything well. This is brilliant. This bloke's brilliant. That's how they respond after such a negative start. Let's just remind you of what Jesus said to him. He said, Go home to your own people. Now that also echoes into the church age. Start in Jerusalem, start home. Just talk to people you know, people you work with, your neighbours, your friends, maybe some of your family. Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And maybe that is the first step, even what God's saying to you. You know, I don't know who you are this morning, all of you, one or two I, of course, know quite well, but you may even be visiting this morning. I pray that somewhere in one of the things that we've drawn from this, God's saying something to you. In fact, as we close, I think there may be a couple of things just on my heart a bit. Just going back one, actually, I think there may be some people who, who have had quite a frustration with prayer, they feel like God's, Jesus has kept saying no, or it seems very blank. A bit like the guy asking, can he go with Jesus? And I think Jesus wants to speak to you about what he does want. I think he wants to open up some new possibilities for you, some new direction. They may not quietly harmonize with how you felt it should go, but I think it will be exciting and it's a bigger plan. And I would like 
if you're in that category in a moment, I'd like you to be prepared to come forward for just someone to pray with you. What they will pray, under my encouragement, would be that God will speak to you clearly in the next few weeks. I mean, as simple as that, because I believe God doesn't want to leave you confused or disappointed or frustrated. He will speak to you and say, this is the way, walk in it. And two or three things will probably come together. I'd be in faith for that. So in a moment when we stop, if, you want, if you're in that position where you think it's just like, I need an answer, it just like seems no all the time. I want an answer. I think God is a speaking God. But I also feel that there are some who maybe, I think the other thing is this last one, maybe you felt very frightened, <laughs> maybe, because I know what it's like myself, very frightened about talking about Jesus. And I think God, in a sense, doesn't want to just kick you into it, just wants to lift the heaviness off. Just let, put a lightness in your spirit. It's actually only saying what's happened to you in a very ordinary way. It doesn't have to be dramatic. Don't have to speak in King James English. Don't have to sort of be able to preach the Bible to them. Just say, well, this is what's happened. But I think you're going to find that brings more fruit than you would have imagined. So uh, let's stand together as we're finishing. I, I think if you are in either of those categories, you'd just like someone to pray with you about what I would call an unanswered prayer, which is a fairly significant frustration to you or even concern or puzzle. And I believe God wants to speak to you. And, and we're just going to pray, Lord, may your peace be on them. Just, Lord, speak this week. I think it's good sometimes just to nail it with a prayer with someone else. And also, if you are, know that it's a big issue for you to talk, you can't hardly open your mouth about Jesus, I think he wants to lift that off you and give you a peace and a normality about it, if I can put it in those words, and just let you go out with a new confidence that your story counts, your story matters. And how about sharing it this week with some of your people? That's not a pressure on you. If God gives you an opportunity, someone meets you at the water cooler and says, what did you do Sunday? Don't go, well, <coughs> not very much. Sort of. Just say, oh, I'll go to church, actually. Oh, Why did you do that? Oh, well, this and this and this. I mean, often it's no more complex than that. Is that right? Let's just pause for a moment. Lord, as we stand before you, we thank you, Lord. We, we all stand on level ground on this one. Lord, many, most of us in this room have had probably prayer requests that we feel you just haven't seemed to answer and Lord I pray that you would show any of us the way forward on that but Lord for those who've got a particular feel a particularly frustrated or stuck I pray Lord you'll just bring breakthrough as we pray this morning and Lord I, I think most of us are nervous about witnessing as we can call it but I pray Lord that we will just be ready to answer a question ready to say what we are and who we are and what you've done for us. Pray you give us a new boldness and openness in doing that. So if you'd like prayer in any of those areas, or actually, to be honest, if you want prayer for anything else, like maybe for a healing, or because I believe the name of Jesus is authority for us to use that in prayer for you this morning. Just come forward now. We are really running out of time. So if you come forward now while we just quietly wait, someone will pray with you. It's not absolutely essential. It's just helpful for you to sort of get some prayer, sort of put a little marker in the ground, really, 
and I'm sure some folk in the church could just join them some you know I, I, I guess you'd be people confident to pray is that right yeah just I wouldn't even do you want, do you want to say it I'll go for it. Anybody here in, in City Church happy to pray with someone? Obviously, man with man, woman with woman, pray would be more appropriate. Just come and join us, a leader or a house group leader or just someone who's used to praying. Just come and join someone. Just find out what category of prayer they'd like. Please come up now and just join them. We're friends together on this one. Just find, is it a frustration? Lord, pray for them that they'll hear the voice of Jesus saying, this is the way, walk in it. This is, this is what I want you to do. And it may be a reassurance of the direction you're in, but it may be a change of direction. Yeah, just come and join us. And uh, if you're looking for a fresh boldness or a first boldness and sharing your faith, come forward to. Again, it's about just lifting the fear element and perhaps the wrong expectation. Just say what Jesus has done for you. Thank you.